has been a while. A minute. Life comes at you fast. We got lazy and things kept happening. Yes. Life. We were going to buy a house and then we're not going to buy a house. I was going to buy a house. Right, and then we weren't going to buy a house. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a whole thing. Um, you know, we're going to we're going to start with the Oscars and uh, I don't think did either of us watch every best picture nominee. I think we both missed one. Uh, I was lazy this year. I still have not watched Belfast or Licorice Pizza, mostly because it was like the weekend of the Oscars. So here, here, let me paint the picture. Um, Because the Oscars were so fucking late this year, um, this thing that is kind of like the one of the biggest events that I look forward to every year called the uh, NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament started. Um... So the weekends that I'd normally have set aside time to watch the final Best Picture movies, I was watching basketball. Um, so yeah, never saw those. Um, <laughs> and at this point, I'm just going to wait for them to be on a free streaming service. So who knows if I'll ever see them. <laughs> Oof, that, that's really unfortunate because Belfast is actually my personal pick for Best Picture. See that—that's the one I really want to watch. I'll probably cave and 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 get that one. Uh, I was not able to get around to watching Power of the Dog, um, which you know I I was I was saving it intentionally because I I didn't have like a whole lot of like chunks where I could sit down and watch a three-hour movie, uh, but then I got lucky the day of the Oscars and I was able to squeeze in a watch of West Side Story right before the show, so. The longest one, and the one that I'm pretty sure was thought to be the shoe-in for Best Picture, is the one that I did not get to watch. And while I still want to, because I do enjoy Benedict Cumberbatch, and you've said that like it's at least worth a watch, whether or not it's good or not, is kind of out. Um, but now the Oscars are over, I just don't know if I'll have the motivation to get to it anytime soon. I feel that. I totally. That's how I kind of am with like Belfast and Licorice Pizza. Like, Licorice yeah. Pizza, I might not watch, just because. <laughs> also, that was one where I was like, I was only going to probably watch that because it was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, there was not a lot about that one that was like, yeah, I want to watch that movie. Belfast, on the other hand, I do really want to watch. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I think if you watch a trailer for Licorice Pizza and you're not really feeling it, it's not a necessary watch, but I, I do encourage you to watch Belfast. Yeah, for sure. Um, what was the other stuff that was up for Best Picture? We got, uh, so obviously West Side Story, which both of us kind of kind of panned the idea of because it's a remake of like a 50-year-old movie. I have no doubt interested. that it's good. I just didn't care to watch it. Yeah, and you Plain know, and simple. me having watched it, it is good, but... Um, I, I was talking with a coworker who has seen both it and the original movie, and he was saying that the the remake was so true to the concepts and uh, everything about the original that, like, really the only difference was you could tell the original was shot on a soundstage, uh, and this one was not. But other than that, it was, like, almost shot for shot, which, for better or worse, I think it's an interesting experiment. I'm glad it was made. I don't think in the modern landscape of filmmaking that it was worth being nominated for Best Picture. 
And part of that has to do with the way that musicals have changed, and obviously my own musical taste associated with it, that the music is exactly the same, and it hasn't been updated whatsoever, which is a fine novelty, and I'm not saying the movie is bad because of that. I just don't kind of feel like it should have been nominated. Well, this was also just a pretty darn weak year for, like, top-end movies, I thought. Like... It was, I guess you could say it was better than last year because last year was the COVID year and it was like, holy God, we got to get five nominees for Best Picture. <laughs> <laughs> this year, I mean, I, I mean, I were like Coda, which spoiler, you know, we're a week late, so who cares? <laughs> but uh, one Coda won Best Picture. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was really good. In a good year, it's it might get nominated for Best Picture, but I doubt it wins. Yeah. Hey, you know, let's just go and we'll start at the top, right, with the Best Picture. So Coda did win Best Picture, and I did also really like Coda once I was done with Coda. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had to watch it in two sittings where I essentially, I, I, I kind of just ended up cutting the movie in half where I watched the, the first half on one day, and then the next day I, I watched the second half. And I was not happy with the movie during the first half. I kind of hated it. Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I was I was curious as to why. I mean, you, what you told me made sense, but I was also like, that's interesting because like, that's like the whole point. That's literally the whole point is to make you be like, ah. Yeah, I don't know. I've just, I've never, like, and, and to be clear, it, you suggested that maybe it's because that I'm just not into family dramas, which I think is probably likely. I have an issue with interpersonal conflicts because a lot of times I feel like they're written unrealistically. And I could be wrong about that. I could just maybe not have faced that level of conflict with the relationships associated with the movie. And I'm talking out of my ass about what's believable conflict. But just, like, especially seeing the way that the mom character interacted with the daughter main character was just, like, this is fucking annoying because this is bad writing. No one would talk to their kid like that and still be a likable human being. Eh, but see, you got the whole, you have the whole deaf aspect of it, though. So I think that, that's why I didn't think too much into it. Because I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. At least to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it was hard for me to get into. But then, like I said, the second day when I watched the second half, it pulled the whole thing together. And I'm like, yes, yes, this deserves the nomination. I am crying. This is a very heartfelt moment. I understand the plight. Even if the whole movie kind of had the energy of a Disney Channel movie, it was at least like a big budget Disney Channel movie, you know? Yeah. I, I'm glad you said Well, it was a very much a low, bu- uh, a low budget movie. Like, uh, it very indie. Like, yeah, it was on Apple TV Plus, but Apple, I, I found out later that Apple had no, like, hand in the creation of it. They just picked it up to put it on their streaming service. They had no say or involvement, I don't think, in the actual production of the movie, which, once I heard that, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense because it just, just seems like a very low-budget indie-type movie when when you watch it, and I'm just, I don't know, I really like the whole vibe of the movie. Yeah, yeah, they were just an avenue for release, uh, which I, I think is true of pretty much everything they're putting out on the service, that Apple is just like big dicks swinging their tech money around and just buying up whatever they want to make their streaming service worthwhile. It it still is kind of funny 
that Apple ends up getting a Best Picture Oscar before Netflix. I'm and, fucking annoyed by it. And if if the Best Director uh, award wasn't before Best Picture, Apple would have gotten an, an Oscar before Netflix did. Because <laughs> between, I think it's crazy that well, one, I mean, we should just talk about it. go just jump to this next. The fact that The Power of the Dog had 12 nominations and won one award is fucking insane. That's yeah. crazy. Like, I don't know if that's ever happened before. I mean, I mean, there's been favorites before that don't, like, win a whole bunch, but they'll, they might have double-digit nominations, but they'll at least get three or four wins. They'll get one of the major categories, so an acting director or best picture award. It's usually not best picture if they don't win a lot. And then they'll pick up some of the, like, technical awards. But, man, when, when, what was it? Was it Dune? When, when Dune won for best cinematography over, uh, over Power of the Dog, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Power of the Dog was very divisive. I mean, I knew it was divisive, but, like, it was really divisive amongst people who were voting in the Academy if that didn't win. Because the early, like, a couple weeks ago, I, that was the biggest thing that I'd heard about Power of the Dog was like the cinematography in it is fantastic, which I do agree with. Uh, I was I was really shocked that that didn't win that one. Yeah, but then naturally Dune uh, swept a lot of the technical awards, such oh, yeah. as cinematography, best sound, uh, best visual effects, of course, and uh, you know deserved. I think I think someone on. I read a tweet of someone going, I'm calling it in 2024, Doom Part 2 is going to basically pull up Return of the, uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King and be nominated for like 13 awards and win all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not that confident in a Dune Part 2, but I would like to see it, if nothing else, just for the sci-fi genre. Well, well I guess, and that, so if we're talking about Dune, the, the fact that it won all these technical awards and literally every single person who won one thanked Villeneuve just shows how much of a travesty it was that he didn't get nominated for best director. Like mm. that's ridiculous that he was not even nominated. Yeah. Villeneuve is uh one of I would say the the current auteurs of our time. Oh it, yeah. If there was like a passing of the torch from the Tarantino generation to this one, I think Villeneuve would be in that pantheon. Yeah, he's just, he's like one of, I don't know, you can just tell he is very meticulous about every scene, (laughs) every shot, is just, so much goes into it, it's crazy. Yeah, and when Dune Part 2 does come out, I will not make the same mistake, and I will see that movie in IMAX. Oh, oh yes, I'm still mad at myself that I have not seen it in just a theater in general, like, oh, I, uh. That I have that is my big regret of these past Oscar movies that I did not go see that in theaters. Now, um, on the topic of Nightmare Alley, yeah, I I have I feel like I have this issue with Del Toro movies where I want to like Del Toro and I respect him as a director and I enjoy his style, but anytime I watch one of his movies. I know I'm going to forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, then ironically, they end up sticking in my mind because I want to forget about them. 
Because I don't know, like, I enjoy them in the moment. I recognize that they're good movies, but none of them, for me, are particular standouts. And I'm still upset that he, like, Shape of Water got Best Picture of the Year that it was nominated. (laughs) (laughs) That is my, like, what else was nominated up against it that year? Let's look it up. I think that was the 2020 Oscars? No, that was, that was not right before COVID, was it? Uh, looking it up. It was 2017, so... Oh, my God. Time. Yeah, it was, it was a while ago. So that would have been the 2018 Oscars. I'm trying to find... <laughs> I want to find the IGN article for it because IGN always has them laid out pretty clearly and other news websites do not. Um, yeah, or I'll like just, the I'll Oscars, take the long route. The Oscars website is the worst place to go. Man, every time we talk about any award show, actually using the award show's website is uh, fucking, eh. It's never good. No. No. But well, because the reason why the Oscars is bad is because they put Best Picture sh- so far down. Okay, here here are the nominees for the year Shape of Water won Best Picture. Shape of Water, Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. So actually, it was a fucking stacked year. Yeah, why the fuck did three billboards not win that year? Because of the controversy around it of people being like, it's racist. That that, that was the only reason why. All the more reason. But that I was like, oh, wait, that year was fucking stacked. That was probably the last, like, holy shit, there were a lot of really good movies nominated. Like I was on the Ladybird train because I f- I love that movie. But yeah, I mean that yeah. was uh, my second pick, yeah. and I, I do still love Ladybird. One of my favorite movies. That is the last time I think I watched every movie nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, I actually I even saw Darkest Hour in theaters. If you could believe it. Oh God, I that's a movie. It's like I watched it once. What's his face got the Oscar for Best actor and you're like ah, okay because <laughs> i never want to watch that movie again <laughs> it was a one yeah. dunner for me yeah but that's fair. anyway i definitely i definitely have no inclination to ever watch that movie again either circling back um are we gonna any anything else we want to discuss outside of the acting awards um i don't think so I don't think, um, you know, just like I said, Belfast is very good. I personally think Belfast should have won, and I encourage people to check that out. Um, I do also think that it is a personal travesty that Come On, Come On was not nominated for Best Picture, because I feel like you could have dropped West Side Story, uh, Don't Look Up, or Nightmare Alley. Honestly, Don't Look Up being nominated is weird. Yeah, especially I think if but between those three, I would have rather have seen Don't Look Up get dropped and Come On, Come On should have been nominated. Yeah. I, I really, really liked Come On, Come On, and I think Joaquin was great in that movie. Not that I think that necessarily he should have gotten a Best Actor nominee, but some recognition because that movie just kind of flew under everyone's radar, but that's kind of how A24 does it sometimes. Yeah. So that's all I want to say. And I, know, I, I do want to point out, and we'll get into two. Well, actually, we'll get into these with the acting awards. But um, so actually, I'll wait. I'll wait for that. 
for, uh, I'll mention it as we get through them. But I do, I did want to, I do want to point out that like with Jane Campion winning for best director for uh, Power of the Dog, it's the second year in a row that a female director has won, which I think they're the only two. I believe they're the only two, and it's like going on five or six years since a white male's won best director. So. Yeah, overall, the Academy still has a long way to go when it comes to uh, representing everyone in the industry, but there are, we're getting small victories, and that is also evident in some of the acting awards that I will point out when we get to those as well. Yeah, you want to know? <laughs> you want to know a disgusting fun fact? Uh, sure. So, so the year before that, uh, Bong Joon Ho won for best director for Parasite. And Parasite won Best Picture that year. Um, but something that the Wikipedia page points out is uh, that year for the Oscars, you know the movie that had the most nominations? Uh, the Irishman? Nope. It was Joker. Oh my god. What? Yeah, and Joaquin won Best Actor for it, too. I remember that because he gave just the weirdest fucking speech. He's a weird dude. And don't get me wrong, I like Joker. I legitimately, unironically, really like Joker. But the fact that it had the most nominations is the funniest thing to me. Yeah, that's that's weird. That Well, that's because, like, I mean, it, honestly, it should have been Parasite. Because that movie was just awesome. Yeah. But, huh, interesting. So the right. acting awards. Yeah. We started out with the first award coming like 20 minutes into the show, which, you know, I get perturbed by that. I think you were saying that doesn't bother you as much. As long as they do the awards afterwards, I don't mind a preamble. Yeah, which they, I mean, you could, I guess you could say they did, but they didn't do it very well because they did like, here's an award. Now here's another 10 minutes before the next one. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. But uh, the the woman from West Side Story, I don't remember her name. Ariana DeBose. Yes, she's hot. Uh, <laughs> she won, which I was like, I haven't seen any uh, any of the the actress oh movies. I like didn't see because they were because all non best sexist. No, because they were not all <laughs> non best picture movies. So I just didn't see them, and none of the movies, for the most part, were particularly good from what I'd heard. So <laughs> it was a really, Oof. especially for best actress, really weird year for best actress. But um. With DeBose? Yes. DeBose winning, she's the first openly gay person of color to win an Oscar, so that's fucking cool. But I never saw the movie, so I have no idea. Was it, Is it <laughs> deserved? I don't know. What did yeah, you think? Um, I think the actress in King Richard, uh, whose first name I do not want to butcher, but Miss Ellis, uh, was also nominated. Mom? Yes. She was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress, and I think she did a phenomenal job, and if she had more screen time in the movie, I think she should have won over Ariana DeBose, personally. I I get that. I remember watching that, the one scene they showed at the Oscars. I was like, this is the Oscar scene. Like, they wrote this scene so she could try and go win an Oscar because yeah. she's so good in that one scene. But then, like you said, she's not in the movie much outside of that. So, and you know, like it, it's kind of the nature of the category because it is supporting actress. But even still, 
Yeah. Um, Judy Dench is also phenomenal in Belfast, but has about as much screen time as Ellis in King Richard. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Judy Dench played the grandmother in Belfast. Not that yeah. that means anything to you yet. Well, I, I saw from just from the scene they showed of her when they were presenting that that award, I was like, damn, Judy Dench. I forget that you kind of are just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's all I got for supporting actress. Um, supporting actor, I thought was really cool, as it was the guy from Coda, who plays the dad, um, who is the first deaf actor to ever win an Oscar. Um, and at least for me, I thought it was really cool because I, I'm I I don't remember their names, but the the woman who won Best Supporting Actress the year before from Minari, the Korean woman was the one who presented it and when she was presenting him as the winner she like signed his name first and i was just like that's that's just so cool that was, it was a really cool moment to to get to see and also just to have the first deaf actor win an oscar is also just cool yeah and it was also like the most adorable oblivious grandmother thing that like you know normally when when the when the person goes up to give their speech, they get the presenter like out of the shot so they can just like have the camera and give their speech for the award. And like I don't know if she just didn't notice or if they didn't bother, but she stayed right there with him and held the Oscar for him so he could sign his speech. <laughs> she like and snatched it from him. <laughs> <laughs> just the the pure admiration in her eyes while she watched him like tear up during his speech and sign it was just like, man, she is so pure. I love yeah. that woman. Yeah. But then also Troy Kotzer's speech, I think, was the best speech of the night and was incredibly moving. And his win for supporting actor was absolutely deserved. I have no complaints whatsoever. Oh, yeah. He was fantastic. Other than, well, if we want to then shift to best actress, the the absolute travesty is the girl from... Coda not being nominated for best actress I I still kind of can't believe it especially with how like I said kind of just overall weak the movies were yeah because like to your to your point about the the actress nominations like at least best supporting actress all of those nominations were from best pictures except for Jesse Buckley and the lost daughter but then all the ones that were nominated for best actress None of these movies were nominated for Best Picture. And I can guarantee you hardly anyone saw them because a lot of them uh, just aren't that good. Because it was The Eyes of Tammy Faye, The Lost Daughter, Parallel Mothers, Being the Ricardos, and Spencer. I don't know if it, which, is it The Lost Daughter or, uh, oh God, there was another one. Who's, which one was Coleman nominated for? That was The Lost Daughter. Yeah, that's the one where I'm like, I want to see that one because I think that one, I've heard that one was good, and I'm kind of surprised she didn't win, to be completely honest. But Yeah, and all these nominations, they are well-known, like, nearly household names. Jessica Chastain, Olivia Coleman, Penelope Cruz, Nicole Kidman, and Kristen Stewart. All accomplished actresses. Yeah, and I guess I've let the big picture uh, rub off on me to go, I kind of don't know how Jessica Chastain won. Uh, based off of what Sean Finnessy has said about that movie and her performance, but that she campaigned like a motherfucker <laughs> for that Oscars, and that's the main reason why she won, which I'm like, hey, 
if you know how to play the game to get the Oscar, good for you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe uh, other ceremonies during awards season will play a little bit different and give different recognition. But since we are not a primarily movie podcast and we are not primarily movie people, we only care about the big show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have enough care to follow the like the award circuit and how much people are campaigned for for award show stuff yeah um speaking of campaigns so we are we getting to the elephant in the room yeah i think so nobody nobody had any doubts going into the night that will smith was going to win best actor uh, I think there was some there was slight rumblings that Cumberbatch could come in and steal it. Possibly. Um I I do think that the politics around the awards show made Smith more likely. Yeah. Um if for no other reason than like you know akin to a lifetime achievement thing. Cuz like I mean when you think about the trajectory of Will Smith's career, it is kind of incredible that he has gone from Fresh Prince family-friendly rapper from the 90s and has risen to Art House Best Actor winner Will Smith. Like, Academy Award winner Will Smith, star of After Earth and Independence Day, the Fresh (laughs) Prince of Bel-Air, is now an Academy Award winner for Best Actor. Um, at, At any other moment, that would be the story. Well, yeah. Oh, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're framing him in that flattering of light. I mean, he's been in good movies and had really like Oscar level roles previously. It's not like, oh yeah, he finally did a good role. Oh yeah, no, I don't want to. I don't want to say Will Smith is a bad actor. I'm just saying that like the rise and falls of his career. Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> he he has made some movie decisions. We'll put it that way. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, it was. I, I don't really care to go myself wade into the take war that was the slap. Um, mostly because I still really kind of just feel weird about the whole thing and don't really know what to say. And also, I don't feel like um, I am in a position to give an opinion that matters. So I'm kind of letting that one lie to those who I, I take Daniel Radcliffe's perspective um i i'm already overwhelmed with all the takes and don't care to add my take to the fire so i don't know if you want to go have more to say about the slap per se or if you yeah, want to wait if you want to wait and talk about more the the award itself first look i'm of the opinion that there is no nuance here there is only one correct way to look at it and it's the way that i'm looking at it okay oh oh here we go i'm strapping um, which in. which is also the way that Jim Carrey is looking at it. Uh, Because I think Jim Carrey's take was the most accurate and most nuanced for the situation. Uh, That, like, it can get a little muddy depending on your opinions of PC culture, which is an exhausting and frustrating conversation to have on most days. Um... I, I, I think that it's generally ridiculous that an award show, a, a show at all, that is a gathering of the social elites of our world, where every gathering of this group of people is both an opportunity to recognize and take the piss out of, 
where the entire show, there are jokes made at the expense of these people from start to finish. If you recall, Amy Schumer had a joke about literally nobody having seen Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. Accomplished, knighted Sir Ridley Scott was made fun of on national television for nobody having seen one of the two movies he put out. It is part of the game, and Will Smith acted like a fucking child. Oh, yeah, you really went out on the fucking child part there, huh? And more importantly, it overshadowed every other single thing about the award show and made the entire news cycle about that moment. The man experienced the highest and the lowest points of his career an hour apart, and the Academy gave him a standing ovation for it. Yeah. And like I said, I'm I, I'm not jumping in. I, I agree in parts. I, for the most part, kind of do agree. Uh, I just don't, you know, it, uh, it, the whole thing, I still just think the whole thing's fucking weird. I've been more on the just trying to figure out, well, how the fuck did it happen <laughs> yeah. thing. And, and because I can't get past, like, I don't know, I just cannot comprehend how it happened. It has made me just not like want to have a take because I just don't understand how that still happened. I still, I, I cannot, I don't get it. Yeah, and I guess I, I should, I should, uh, I, I should back that up a little bit because I do think that you know most of the issue people have with this is that Jada Pinkett Smith deals with um, not by choice hair loss, and so the joke potentially hurt her feelings. She was clearly not amused by the joke, and. I'm not saying that she needs to get over it necessarily because jokes can hurt and it is an unfortunate part about it. But I think being in that position, you need to have a little thicker skin. You need to appreciate that everyone isn't going to be on the up and up on what you're dealing with. And there are better avenues to get your thoughts about the situation out than walking up on stage and slapping a man on live national television. Yeah. And I mean, I do think there was, if I've, I've, I don't know, I, I feel like a lot of this stuff's changed. I've heard that there's beef between her and Chris Rock of stuff that's been said in the past, which I think was part of it. Um, to the joke part, I mean, for fuck's sake, Ricky Gervais made a joke about the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio, they did, I think I did another one, th- this one, making jokes about how Leonardo DiCaprio only dates like <laughs> women who are <laughs> really young. And he, I mean, I, yeah, it's like when you're there, you kind of, they're going to make jokes and just, it's like, it's a joke. I don't know. I didn't think it was that insensitive of a, of a joke. Right. Yeah. It wasn't. And it wasn't <laughs> I mean, even a good joke. Been- this will depend person to person, but it wasn't even that offensive of a joke. It wasn't even that good of a joke. <laughs> like, I don't know what G.I. Jane was, so... <laughs> yeah, like, to Chris Rock's point, it was a G.I. Jane joke. Yeah. Yeah, so... And poor Chris Rock, getting paid to get on stage and do the thing that you do at the place that you're supposed to do the thing, and you get smacked by Will Smith. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, his and Will Smith's speech was all over the fucking place. It, <laughs> it was not. It was also not good. It, it, and to to your point, I think the thing that I that I always kind of keep going back to about it is it did it took away the spotlight from as I've said a lot of really cool moments. 
that we got that everyone in the past had given the Academy a lot of shit for, uh, rightfully so. Uh, but, like, you know, we get these really cool moments. Like, Chris Rock was up there to announce Best Documentary that Questlove won, and he had a really cool, heartfelt speech about his dad that no one was listening to, remembers anything about, because everyone was trying to go, wait, was that slap real? Like, was that staged? Like, what the fuck just happened? And right, like, everyone was running to Twitter. Yeah, and, like, that's not fair to him. He had his moment basically taken away from him. And, yeah, like like I said, it, like you said, it took it took all the spotlight off of some of the really cool moments that did happen during the whole show. Yeah, and I think if nothing else, I it, it should not be controversial to say that that is the most unfortunate part about it. That however you feel about why it happened or how it happened or whether or not anyone was justified in the situation, it is unfortunate that it changed the news cycle and took the spotlight away from more important things. And from everything that I've heard, like, I'm pretty sure the speech he had prepared was going to be pretty badass. And then it just all went to shit after that. <laughs> But, yeah. I guess, I, I, do you have anything else on the Oscars? No. No, I think, I, I think that's it. I got one big thing. Hey, Oscars, <laughs> okay. how the motherfuck are you going to take out, like, X amount of awards that you did, and then the show still went longer than it did the year before? What the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Get your shit together. Figure it out. You, there was literally no point in you not, broadcasting all of them mostly because you still showed them all you just like cut their speeches by like 20 seconds so like what the fuck was that yeah as somebody that works in live broadcast tv uh i was i was googling how long the oscars normally go for and like abc gave the oscars a three-hour slot and i think they always do the oscars is always scheduled for three hours and apparently the fastest the oscars has ever been is three hours and 14 minutes. I believe it. And this was th- like 345, dude. Yeah. It was so long. Which, thank God I was not on any of the stations that was actually running the Oscars. Oh, God. But yeah, yeah, it was overall, I mean, overall, you take out the flap. Interesting to find. I don't know if ratings numbers are out or what the ratings will be next year. But, um,. Overall, you know, there was some really cool stuff. There's some decent movies enough this year. Not I like I said though, not not a real not a deep, super deep year, I didn't think for for movies. But oh god. I'm I still have the twenty eighteen stuff up. That was the year fucking the boss baby uh, <laughs> was nominated. So, um I'm gonna exit out of that tab. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. All right. So moving on to more fun conversations. Uh, I think some of the biggest news that we were waiting on to talk about finally happened. And PlayStation announced what is on paper, I think, meant to be their competitor with Game Pass, or at least the closest thing they could muster. Yeah, the, at least the concept of or the, the initial concept to eventually maybe have a true competitor because uh, we'll get into it. I, I, I don't think, long story short of what we'll get into, I don't think it's a real quote-unquote competitor. Uh, it does some things that are really cool, but like it doesn't do the big things that Game Pass does, AK, mostly 
day and date releases of their first party titles. Yeah, uh, Sony's greed is showing on this one, and they don't really seem interested in competing with Microsoft on the Game Pass front. And, I mean, if they don't ever want to do that and they're just doing it their way, then I guess more power to them. But Game Pass is going to stay the best deal in gaming. Yeah, So, oh, so for sure. True to the leaks that we had talked about a few episodes ago, um, they're essentially changing PlayStation Plus to be a multi-tiered subscription service. So they're changing what we currently know as PlayStation Plus to PlayStation Plus Essentials. Um, where you still get the two monthly downloads, you get discounts, cloud saves, and all that stuff. You get access to the online multiplayer. That's all fine. Price stays the same. Nothing is different. So what they're adding, for $15 a month, you get the PlayStation Plus Extra, which is all that other shit on top of uh, a catalog of up to 400 PS4 and PS5 games, um, which they say includes blockbuster hits, but to your point does not include uh, current releases day and date. So it'll probably have all the biggest first-party titles of the previous generation. It probably will not have uh, Ratchet & Clank, Returnal, Horizon Forbidden West, and it won't have Thor, Rag- Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> it won't have God of War Ragnarok when it comes out. Uh, but that's $15 a month, and that's already the Game Pass price. Well, I think I, think I saw something that said Returnal... W- was one of the games that might be included since it's already okay. out. Um, but it just any of the new big anticipated games for the PS5 probably aren't going to be included. Uh, won't be included. There's no probably. They've said they're not going to put them. Like how when Psychonauts 2 came out, when Forza came out, you could play those on release on Game Pass. You won't be able to do the equivalent of, like you said, Ragnarok. Uh, what are some of the other upcoming ones? That's the main one I think of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you won't be or uh, whenever there's another Spider-Man movie or game, you won't be able to play those through the subscription for free or as a part of your subscription. You'll have to still buy the game separately. Right, and so that's already fifteen dollars a month, which is the Game Pass Ultimate price. So that's yeah. Game Pass on console and PC, and that gives you uh, day and date. For all of Xbox first party releases, which means a lot more in 2022 after all the acquisitions. Yeah, because that's like the entire Bethesda category, or all coming Bethesda games. I my brain about broke there. Sorry. <laughs> and so in the third tier, which thank God it's only three dollars more, but bear in mind this is just all the same stuff that Microsoft already includes for their ultimate Game Pass tier for fifteen dollars a month. So for eighteen dollars a month, you get all that. Plus up to <laughs> weird up to followed by a very specific 340 additional games from the PS3 and backwards of their their backlog catalog. Which, um, but those are all available via streaming. Yeah, and that's the biggest part that's like, oh fuck, really? Because that, as you were saying, you were telling me previously, like the 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 practicality of it still isn't great in actually using the streaming aspect. Cause like, if it was like, if it was like um, with game pass where you could go back and the, granted it's only select titles that they have basically ported original Xbox versions of two game pass, even on PC. If it was like that, 
I'll be like, fuck it. That's almost worth it in itself. Or or if like you want to just have a weekend or a month where you just, oh, I'm going to play a bunch of old PlayStation games. You could, it'd be a really good like deal to just do that for a month and then try and bust your way through a couple games. But if you're streaming them, it is, a, at least for me, a lot less enticing. Yeah, and to be clear, their press release says that there will be streaming and download options for PS1, PS2, and PSP. So it's unclear whether or not those consoles you'll be able to download all of them. It doesn't sound like it, but it says specifically that PS3 games are only going to be available via cloud streaming. And oh, from what I've played of PlayStation Now, their cloud streaming is fucking garbage. Because even trying to play, I tried to play Sonic Generations on PlayStation Now, and the input delay was, uh, it made the game unplayable. Jeez, I, I, I don't, I'm trying to think of a favorite. If I've heard anyone's comments on Xbox's streaming, um, I, I can tell like, you that I've tried to play Skate 2 via streaming on Game Pass, and it still wasn't great, but not as bad as what I experienced on PlayStation Now. I was going to say, I've heard, I've seen some stuff on Twitter of people saying, oh, you know, like, I'm on vacation, but this game came out, and I wanted to try and play it, and they streamed it, and, like, and it worked fine. Like, so, I've at least seen some stuff about Game Pass that says it works better. Um, not a big sample size I on either side, so maybe we just aren't playing the right games. It could have gotten better. Who knows? But um, in general, I'm still. I still don't think the infrastructure is that great for streaming games. Anyway, regardless of platform. Um, so that yeah, if if they come out and say a lot of those backwards compatible or old catalog games, you can download and play. I will definitely be interested because I'll finally go back and play all the old play all the the metal gear games yeah that'd be a good way to do it because i've never played a single metal gear game and i kind of really want to and that would be a great incentive so i'm giving you ideas here sony <laughs> let us download the metal gear games and you will get some of my money yeah so i'll be more interested to see what their catalog looks like um, they said that they want to launch it by the end of the first half of 2022. So we'll see it sometime in the summer, um, which would normally line up around with uh, E3 and more generally all the big video game press conferences for the year. Uh, so I imagine whenever PlayStation does a state of play in a few months, they will talk more about this and give us more details and probably hype up which titles will be available. And maybe we'll get some some big reveals. Maybe like God of War Ragnarok will be a special case and it will be day one because they need something big to get people in on this, I think. Yeah. Did they say if are these only on consoles or are some of these PC? I believe it's only going to be console because they don't see, really have a lot on PC as it is. Yeah. That's the other thing about it. It's like, I need a PS five. <laughs> Still can't get one. Uh, um, well actually hold on. Uh, this says that the cloud streaming customers can stream games using PS four and PS five consoles and PC. So, so PC stream. will be, yes, stream. You can stream on PC, but, Oh, still, uh, it's probably about as best as best we can get right now until Sony actually 
fully goes all in on putting their games on PC. They're getting there, but we're not there yet. Yeah. And and to be honest, this this whole press release and what they have so far, this is about the response I expected from PlayStation. I think this was best case scenario for the way the PlayStation has conducted themselves over the last generation. And it doesn't surprise me that now that they're in a good spot, they're the cock of the walk on having the good first party titles. They're not just going to hand those out for free. You know, yeah, quote, that, quote for free. That's fair. But I don't think it's I, a good business strategy. I'm no. not I'm not saying I like it. I'm just saying it's what I expected. Yeah. Yeah, at least in the short term. Long term is is where I think what Microsoft's been doing with Game Pass is going to finally uh eventually pay out and be worth the investment that they put in there. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of the summer at E3, though. What what do you mean? What is that? <laughs> yeah, even though E3 has already been on the outs the last few years, they have officially announced that 2022 E3 has been canceled in all of its forms. <laughs> it's it, dead. <laughs> in person and digital. Pack it up. We ain't doing E3 this year. Which, frankly, I mean, I guess it has to do with the fact that it's in California and uh, us living in the places that we do, our restrictions on COVID are a lot less strict. Uh, California, probably more on the up and up on that kind of thing, and they just didn't want to deal with it, which, you know, kind of fair, you know, the safety of the people and all that. Um, weird that they're not trying to do anything digital, though. I, yeah, I, I also just think, uh, as we saw, I mean, it was really just Microsoft and Bethesda and Microsoft bought Bethesda, so then it's really <laughs> just going to be Microsoft and... Because, like, Ubisoft... What the fuck's Ubisoft been doing the last, like, <laughs> five years? Like, I don't even know. Like, if it's not Siege or a new Assassin's Creed game, like, what are they doing? I don't know. Yeah, at this point, E3, like, at least in person, has kind of reverted back to an industry event since, you know, if you want to talk about the big three players in the console market... Nintendo and Sony haven't had press conferences actually part of E3 for the last few years, and they just do it adjacent to because they want to be part of the same news cycle. And so, yeah, you just have Microsoft, and Bethesda was doing their own thing, but I, I find it unlikely that they would continue to do a separate press conference, and Microsoft wouldn't just absorb that for their own headlines. So then, really, what are you left with? Yeah, uh, nothing. and so i you know i i i've said this to you and our friends before i i don't think that we as digital viewers are going to miss anything about e3 it might not be as condensed all the press conferences might not happen during the same week but guarantee every major publisher is still going to have a summer showcase of some kind because it's it's big for their marketing to have that kind of push. It's when the big the, the big headlines happen. It's when the big reveals take place. They're not going to pass up on it. And just because E3 is canceled doesn't mean we're not getting those. Yeah, I'll be real interested to see how uh, Nintendo plays into like what Nintendo does with the frequency of theirs. Because they've kind of just always been like, yeah, we got something new to show you. We're going to do one. And I think because so many other people, like you said, with the news cycle, were doing conferences or showcases, they were 
still putting one out around that time. I'll be interested to see if they just like kind of move when they do it and they don't do one around the same time and just kind of do it when as it would come naturally of, oh, we have a couple games we want to show showcase. Here's a new Nintendo Direct. Or if they still try and keep one around the same time. Yeah, yeah, you can never really know with Nintendo. They, they've been doing their own thing for a while, and, and I do feel like there is potential that they only kept with the Summer Showcase because of E3 and because that dominated the news cycle. But yeah, if it's not going to happen and it's all decentralized anyway, they probably don't have much incentive to stick to the Summer, and they'll just do it when they do it. Because, I mean, we'll probably def, you know still get a Microsoft one, still get a Sony one. I, I Bethesda stuff will be rolled into the Sony one, or the Microsoft one. Um, and then that really just leaves EA because, and, and uh, Ubisoft. Because, oh, I forgot, Activision's a part of Microsoft. Like, Jesus Christ. Oh, <laughs> I, for, I, I forgot how much they, they got. And, like, you'd always get an Activision one. You'd always get a Bethesda one. Uh, yeah, yeah, I feel like hasn't done one for a while, but you know, they're pseudo a part of Microsoft in a way with EA Play being wrapped into Game Pass. So it's really when's Microsoft doing theirs because Sony's just gonna decide to do it probably around then because Microsoft can do it whenever the hell they want because they have so many developers that they can showcase stuff for that people would will definitely turn tune into that. Not to say they wouldn't for Sony because their exclusives are still so damn good that people will tune in just for those. Yep. I think that's all that there is to say about that. Um, Obviously, we don't have anything big to talk about until the actual press conferences happen. Uh, But I'm excited. I'm always excited. I'm a little hype goblin for E3 times. Summer is the big game news time. Yep. Even as I'm trying to grind my way through the end of Elden Ring, I got games on my radar I want to knock out before... The backlog gets bigger than it already is. Well, I'm I'm in the I'm in the the void now, having beaten Elden Ring, and not really like, oh, I want to make a new character, or oh, I want to do an game plus. I'm just kind of like, it's the first FromSoft game I beat slash played, so I'm just kind of like, that was an experience. That was a hundred hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if if you wanted to kind of give some new more thoughts on Elden Ring now that I mean you've essentially beaten it I have beaten it if if there's anything else you wanted to throw into that discussion yeah um since it's been a minute since we recorded I kind of forget exactly what we had to say about it at the time but I think now that like you said I've essentially beaten it I am on the last boss and I just haven't put a lot of time into it um I have put somewhere in the ballpark of 170 hours into Elden Ring across two characters and a lot of co-op. I think if the game reviewers had more time with the game and if they had gotten to the end game, Elden Ring would not have as many 10 out of 10s as it does. And and that is only to say it would have a lot more 9 out of 10s. Yeah, it wouldn't be much lower than that. It just, it's not, it's, the game's clearly not perfect once yeah, you get done with it. Because unlike you being a FromSoft Souls game veteran, the end game of this is uniquely frustrating, and there are things that I feel like are tuned poorly, 
and there are bosses that I think are also designed poorly. Uh, Millennia Blade of Mikola, I think, is legitimately the worst designed boss in the entire Soul series. And uh, it is unfortunate that it is, like, the quintessential endgame boss, because it is, like, everyone will agree, it is the hardest boss in the game. It's completely optional, it's kind of secret, uh, and it is way harder than either phase of the final boss of the game. And frankly, I think it's fucking stupid. I can't, I can't speak too much on the difficulty of it because I went through the game using the basically the cheesiest build, uh, and didn't have that much trouble with that boss fight. But uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I can, I can elaborate a little bit on the game design concept of it on why I think it's dumb. Isn't it just mostly like the sheer hitboxness of some of her moves? No, actually. Uh, I mean, she does have the one particular move that is hard to dodge, but not impossible. That is just general Souls-like stuff. You got to learn the boss. You got to know how to dodge. That can be hard, and that's okay. Um, There are some bosses in the game that I think their attacks are too wide, and even if I dodge the attack and I get the iframes on the roll, the attack is still happening, and I still get hit by it, and it feels unfair. I don't think Millennia has any of those moves. I, I think all of her stuff is legitimately dodgeable. That's mostly and, fucking Radigan. Oh my god. <laughs> um, and so I, I am speaking as a melee character that uses a, a shield and and not a great mace, but just a regular mace, where my whole build is being up in there and getting the swings in. And this was never really an issue until millennia. And some people do have a really easy time with her. Um, I ended up summoning a multiplayer phantom and they just cheesed her with bleed and it made a frustrating fight into a 45 second spam fest. Um, And someone like you using rivers of blood also does bleed, which is one of those things that I think is overtuned right now. The fight was kind of, kind of a joke for some people. Um, My biggest problem with millennia. And I guess this is uh, minor spoilers for the way the boss works. I'm not going to talk about lore implications or anything. Um, every single attack she does heals when it hits you, which I think is actually an interesting design. I don't have an issue with that inherently. I think her attacks heal a little too much, but I like that it turns the fight into a tug of war for health because you have, uh, ideally at that point, 14 total Estus flasks and you allot those however you want. So you're always healing in a boss fight, but they just have a big health bar. Millennia doesn't have particularly a lot of health. She's pretty easily staggered. And unless she's doing that one attack that hits a lot, the attacks themselves don't do a whole lot of damage. My biggest issue is when she hits you, she heals. But more importantly, when she hits my shield, my shield that blocks 100% physical, I block her attack. It does no damage to me whatsoever, but she still gets her heal and her full heal at that. I should not be punished as a player for negating an attack in one of the two ways that the game has mechanics for defending against an attack. You can dodge or you can block. It is an inherent foundational design concept of a Souls game why am I being punished for using a shield? I, I don't think that's a ridiculous statement. Yeah. No, I, I, I would agree. It, it doesn't... Yeah. Yeah. 
And so I, I, I hated that design so much that I just ended up summoning a phantom, which I, I try not to do. Whenever I play a Souls game, I try to fight every boss by myself using the mechanics the game gives me. I'll summon NPCs. In Elden Ring, I use the Ash summons. But I try to avoid proper multiplayer on a first playthrough. But I, I couldn't do it for millennia. I was going to go insane if I tried. Hmm. Fair. But it's still a good game. Still love it. Yeah. Um, I, I, as someone who's never played one, I definitely like recommend giving it a shot. The game is so big that I don't know how many characters I'm going to make. And in fact, I'm kind of only doing a second one right now before I've even finished my first one because there's a pretty easy uh, farming spot you can get to without a whole lot of effort. So I'm just going to level this character to like 150 and then and then prance my way through the game just so I could use a different weapon and see how it goes. Because normally yeah. I'd build second characters for PvP only. And in a more linear Souls game, they wouldn't take that long to build. But there is just so much to do in Elden Ring. Yeah. Sorry, I've gotten distracted. So I, for those who aren't um, aware, there's been a thing on Reddit on r slash place of basically doing pixel art. And, uh, you know, communities have been uh, going to war slash trying to build stuff. I don't know what's going on watching what's happening currently, but the whole France section has been nuked and is now just white. Oh, God. And a lot of the whole picture is just going white, so I don't know if, like, they're shutting it down and, like, you have to now slowly, agonizingly see everything go white. (laughs) Wild. (laughs) Which I think is what's happening. That's how they're doing it when they shut it off. Wow, that'd be interesting. I think that's what's happening, but they specifically went for the France corner first. Um, and yeah, cause every, all the stuff that's like, hadn't been touched much today is all starting to go away. Huh? So, sorry, that distracted me at the end of the <laughs> Elden Ring discussion. Um, well, you heard it here. The, the end, the fall of our slash place. Yeah. Cause like everything's turning white. I think this is <laughs> wild. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for this episode. We are at about an hour anyway. Apologies yeah. for missing our normal cycle, but you know, life happens and we are not a professional outfit. Yeah. Exactly. We're just a couple bros who got bad opinions on things. <laughs> and I'm going to order some Chinese takeout after this. Hell yeah, dude. I got to go hey, clean the kitchen. <laughs> if you like what you heard here, um, give us a follow on Twitter, even though we don't we don't use it. Um, what What is that? At obsession underscore pod? That's what it is, right? Yep. Give us a follow. Give us five stars on Spotify. Give us five stars on Apple Music. And more importantly, tell a friend that you think will like the show and we'll keep doing it until one of us gets in a car accident. Uh, why is that gonna be the thing? Don't worry about it. Okay. So until then, we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.